All right, open your Bibles, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 this morning. As we jump into this, we're in this series on relationships, and we're diving into 1 Corinthians. Now, don't be afraid. We're not going to cover everything in this love chapter. Um, we're just going to look at a couple of things over the next couple of weeks, I think, that will help us in our relationships. But today, <clears throat> as uh, Jason told you, we're going to be talking about patience. And uh, so I'm going to say a few things that might be difficult today. So let's do a mass confession. Everybody up for that? <laughs> how many have ever, how many of you have been, and let's just say this, in the last month, how many of you have been angry or you've been an argument? Raise your hand. All right, everybody look around. Okay. So pretty well, the reason we do this is, is so that you know when the Lord speaks to you this morning, we're all in the same boat. All right, and now, let's go, go a little further. How many of you in the last month have come to church and you got in an argument on the way to church? Raise your hand, okay? There, there's, there's some of us like that as well, right? Uh, me and my wife, we've, we've solved that problem. We take separate cars, amen? <laughs> Cut to the chase. But look at verse, uh, if you will, verse 4. It says, love is patient and kind. Now, we're going to zero in on that word patient. And it's not referring to circumstances, it's referring to relationships, all right? It's the Greek word, mekorthunas, and it means to, it takes a long time to boil over, all right? It's a, it's a long fuse, not a short fuse. Now, in our society today, we need a long fuse. I mean, we're, we're living in a time where everybody seems to be impatient, and uh, patience is not increasing it's decreasing in our generation. It seems like violence and anger is everywhere you turn today. And mainly, it seems like, in the political, in the political arena. Now, so uh, just to give you a little bit of how patience has changed and, and anger has changed, really. Uh, Thomas Jefferson wrote this. When you're angry, count to 10 before you speak. If you're very angry, count to 100. Well, that's 200 years ago. Fast forward to 100 years ago, Mark Twain said this, when you're angry, count to four. When you're very angry, swear. That's just, that's just, that's 100 years difference. Now let's look at our movies today, all right? Today, if you're a little angry, you swear. And if you're really angry, you just blow them away, all right? That's the kind of changes that we have seen in our generation. So we're, we're looking at relationships now, in relationships, and I've said this before, I just constantly bring this up. In a marriage relationship or in a relationship, there's usually two different types of people, and both of them have difficult with angers. And one is your skunks, and the other is their turtles. And we've talked about this before. A skunk is someone that everyone in the room knows they're upset, and they don't hide it. They just spew it out, and it stinks up the room, all right? Now, I, I know you might be thinking you're a turtle, I don't, or you're a, you're a, a skunk, I don't know. But that's, that's my wife. Let me give you an example of my wife. Can I give this example, honey, of the, of the I'm just going to do it, okay? She said yes, no. She was at, she was at, um, at uh, Sam's yesterday, and there was this guy in, in his wheelchair, or, you know, the, the one they provide for you, this handicapped chair, and he was coming up, and he had to wait in a line for probably 10 minutes. 
and he was spewing. I'm never coming back here. And, and he said, my, my, I'm going to tell my brothers, I'm going to tell my sisters. And he went on and on. And he was stinking up the place. Okay? That's a skunk. Everyone knows how you feel in the room. Okay? And that's not the proper way to deal with your anger. Then there's the others, and that's turtles. So they get, when they get angry and they, they deal with a difficult situation, they just pull their head back, right? And they just, they don't say a word. They just keep it all bottled in. Well, when you're, when you're slow to boil over uh, or when you're angry and you hit the peg fast, both of those responses are unbiblical, okay? They're not good, all right? And we're going to go into that, but, but look at it. It says, love is patient and kind. I want to go over to James chapter 1 and look at verse 19 here. It says this. It says, understand this, dear brothers and sisters, you must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and then you have that other one, slow to anger. Now, the first thing an angry person says, well, Jesus got angry. That's the first thing they say. He did. Remember when he got angry in Mark chapter 10, he said, let the little children come to me. The disciples were holding the children back, and Jesus says, let them come. And so he was upset with his disciples over that, all right? So, so but here he says, slow to anger, not that quick, heated temper. You know, like when your car overheats and it hits that peg, that's not good for the car, all right? nor is it good for us when we hit that peg, all right? So I want to, I want to talk five, the top, there's a lot of things that we can do to keep us from getting angry, but I want to talk about the, the top five to help you from, from quickly hitting that peg, that red-hot anger, all right? Number one, break the pattern of anger. Break the pattern of anger. We, it's easy to get caught up in the anger, the pattern of anger, because anger breeds anger. The more you're angry, the, the more you get angry. And, and I, I was trying to illustrate this in a movie. Uh, the best one is a, is a movie of the past. How many have ever seen the movie, What About Bob? That is, and I was watching some of the clips last night, and I was just laughing as I was watching it. What About Bob? You know, starts out with Bob is, or, or Bob is a schizophrenic, and he's, he's a mess, and you have, he goes into this counselor, and the counselor is very, you know, he's a, a, a very educated, well-known, successful counselor, just written a book called Baby Steps. And uh, Bob goes in to see him, and, and he's really helping Bob. And so, but the counselor has to go on, a, he's going to go on a vacation. So he goes to this vacation trip to this lake house, and the problem is Bob's freaking out that he's got no counselor. So he follows the counselor to his lake house. And those of you that say it's fantastic, you know. And so, so he pops in on this counselor who is well sophisticated. And even says in the movie, I never get angry. But what happens is Bob keeps showing up. And, and the counselor's family ends up falling in love with Bob. And the counselor is continually getting angry at Bob because Bob won't go home. And before you know it, by the end of the movie, the counselor is full of bitterness, rage, and anger at Bob. And Bob has been healed because he's had this normal family experience where people love him. And it's a, it's a fantastic thing. So my, my point is, is anger 
you got to be careful of getting into this pattern of anger because it's difficult to stop. So let's, let's, instead of asking what about Bob, let's ask what about God. I'm going to look at several scriptures from Proverbs to help us with this. Proverbs 29, 11 says this. Fools vent their anger. Now, the first thing you think of, I thought it was good for me to vent, right? I thought it was good. Well, the Bible says fools vent their anger, but the wise quietly hold it back. Now, another translation says fools give full vent. See, here's the idea is that when you give full vent to anger, your body, your, your, your mind just keeps creating that anger. It's, it's like you can't get rid of it. You, you remember that old Dorito commercial? I don't know why movies are coming to me. Uh, Jay Leno used to do those Dorito commercials. How many remember that? Am I the only one? And he would, he would, he would do these, uh, all kinds of different commercials, but he had this one line. Eat all you want, we'll make more. Your body's like that. Go ahead and yell all you want. Your body's going to make more. Go ahead and get angry. There's this, there's this, this anger uh, assembly line inside of you that just keeps churning out anger. So if you're not careful, you'll be on this downhill slide where you're caught up in a pattern of anger. Listen what uh, Proverbs 14, 29 says. Okay, now, now this translation is good, but let me give you another one. It says, Slow, slowness to anger makes for deep understanding. Now listen to this. A quick-tempered person stockpiles stupidity. Is that good or what? I think that's fantastic. A person that is quick-tempered, he's continually stockpiling stupidity. You say, why is it stupid? Because it hurts us. Every time we get angry, it hurts us. We don't live long. It also hurts the people around us that we love most. And then, of course, it hurts our relationship with God. Okay? When we get angry, we, we, when we fly off the handle, we are ashamed afterwards. Can I hear an amen? And we feel bad that we said stupid things. Because when you're, when you're angry, you say things you shouldn't say. So you feel guilty. You feel you know, upset, that, just ashamed. And so Satan's got you. And then it hurts your relationship as well. And then, of course, it hurts your fellowship with God. Proverbs 25, 28 says this. And I'll paraphrase it. If you don't have discipline over your own spirit, if you can't control your spirit and your anger, you're like this city with broken down walls. The idea is this. You are defenseless. Defenseless. The enemy can come in and destroy. The enemy wants to still kill and destroy you. And so his goal is to take you down. We are, we are in a warfare. And so that's what Satan wants to do. So you, you think of it, okay, am I supposed to act like I'm not angry? Am I supposed to stuff it in? No, Scripture is very plain. Now pay attention, even write this stuff down. Ephesians chapter 4 gives us a way in which we are to handle that anger so we don't get into that pattern, if you will, of anger. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 says this. Now follow, seriously. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. Verse 27. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. We see two steps here on how we should deal with anger. Number one, it says, uh, when you get angry, don't sin. In other words, when you're angry, don't speak. 
back off, cool down, don't let the sun go down, then talk. Very simple, right? So when you get angry, you just back off. And my wife is really good at this. She can, she can just take time to calm down. And then when she's calm, she comes and then we'll talk about the situation. And so then you're rational about it. So you calm down, back off, back off, calm down. And then when you're calm, don't take too long and then talk about the issue. But notice what it says. Don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. Don't give Satan an opportunity. Here's what happens. When we get angry and we talk, we open the door and give him an opportunity to destroy you, to destroy your family, and to destroy your relationship with God. Okay, so when you talk when you're angry, it destroys. Now, the second thing is, when you wait... It says, don't let the sun go down upon your ass. So the, the second step is you're supposed to, when you cool off, to talk about it. Don't cool so far that you're frozen in your revenge, your rage, your anger, your unforgiveness. That's what happens. When we don't talk about it, we say by the next day or the next day, we say, well, well there's no sense in talking about it. What happens is that unforgiveness, you're frozen in that emotional state. And then before you know it, you're full of anger and rage, and, and, and so Satan also gets an opportunity there to step in. So he gets an opportunity when you speak too fast, and he gets an opportunity when you don't speak too fast, because when you have that unforgiveness, that anger building in you, well, I couldn't, I couldn't talk about it, so I just, I just shut up and held it in, and so when you don't, then all of a sudden, you're full of unforgiveness, which is horrible. It's like a cancer that just eats at you, and then there's this still this bad feeling with you and the person you're upset with. And then, of course, God. <laughs> you broke in fellowship with him because you're harboring this. So it's very important. Husband, wife, children, dad, mom, friends. This is how you handle it. When you get angry, back off, cool down, but not frozen. And then when you cool off, go and sit down and talk about it rationally. Talk about why you felt that way. And rationally talk, but also Listen, quick to hear and slow to speak. Can you hear an amen? That is vital. That's how you break the pattern of anger. That's number five. Okay, we're going back, backwards. Number five was we break the pattern of anger. Four is you guard your relationships. Look at Proverbs. We're going to be in Proverbs a lot. Hopefully we get through this quickly like Jason wants to. Amen. Don't befriend an angry person or associate with a hot-tempered person. First question you say is why. It tells you why. You will learn their ways or you'll be like them, and you'll endanger your soul. <laughs> All right? So you, the Scripture is very plain. Guard your relationships because anger is contagious. It, it, it's infective. It infects you, and so you have to deal with your Anger. Now, there's, there's right motives for anger. When, when somebody is, when a, a terrorist is violating innocent people and, and killing and hurting innocent people, there's, there's this, this right anger that we're supposed to have. But then, of course, we're not talking about that. We're talking about the hot-headedness, okay? Now, you say, okay, I'm not supposed to be around people. Well, what about if I'm married to one? What if I'm raising a son that's hot-headed or a daughter that's hot-headed? I just can't say, mm, right? 
You have to be in these relationships. So what does Scripture say about that? Proverbs 15.1 says this. A soft answer turns away wrath. Or I like this version. A gentle answer deflects or diffuses anger. Harsh words make tempers flare. You ever been like that? When you're driving and your wife says something or your husband says something and then you just flare up and talk back? You just, you just hit them? Is there anybody like that? Or is everybody like me and just calm and cool and collective? All right? We all struggle as we raise hands in the very beginning. We're in the same boat. All right? It's, it's a very serious issue. But I love the word gentle. Gentle doesn't mean quiet. It means humble. So think about that. It means I'm to think about the other person in that moment. You talk about discipline. The other person gets angry, and you're tempted to get angry and flare back. But at that moment, if you're humble, and it's all about that other person, and that's the vital point, it's all about them, then you can step back and you say, okay, this moment is about them, and I want to help them in this area. I want to keep them, now listen, if you're really humble and it's all about them, then you want to keep them from hurting their relationship with God, their relationship with you, and then you want to help them with their self-esteem on the inside as we talked about before. Those three areas. If, if it's all about them genuinely, it's going to show in that moment. Gentleness means humble where it literally is all about them. So five is guard the pattern of anger or break the pattern of anger, guard your relationship, and number three, release your worries to God. Psalms chapter 37 verse 8 says this, cease from anger and forsake wrath. Now notice this word, fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. The word fret is referring to worry. So a lot of times our worrying and our fretting is connected to our anger. It's connected. Now, how many of us here struggle with worry? Don't raise your hand. All of us. All right. Well, there's a, there's a, a movie. That, matter of fact, a new movie coming out. It's a new movie. You, but it's an old movie as well. Okay, so what's this guy's name? He's kind of lame, isn't he? All right, got a broken leg, grandkids. Um, so Woody, of course, as you know it, he was, he was the favorite toy of Andy, right? Because how many are going to go see this new movie coming out? I mean, just about everybody's going everybody's to see it, and they're going to love it. So Woody has a problem. He's, he's, he's the favorite toy of Andy, but Christmas time comes around, and he's worried that somebody's going to what? Yeah, replace him. And rightly so, because all of a sudden, here comes... Buzz Lightyear. Just some visualization, right? So here comes Buzz Lightyear, and he, 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 he almost takes the place. So what does Woody do? He does everything he possibly can to get rid of Buzz. He gets what? Angry. Our worry causes us, if we're not careful, we will... Right, that worry will get inside and cause us to get angry with the situation that we're in. For, for example, 
Let's, let's, go to, let's go to Proverbs, or excuse me, let's go to Philippians chapter 4. Let's go right to the scriptures. <clears throat> Talk about how to handle our anger so that we're not, you have this one, you have when, when you begin to worry, and if, you, if you, you handle your worry in the flesh, it leads to anger. If you handle your worry biblically, it leads to peace. Okay, say it again. If you handle your Worry the way you normally do. It keeps you up all night, and you just go over it in your head, over it in your head, and over it in your head. You can't sleep. You can't do anything but think about that given situation. Have you ever been there? Of course we have. That always leads to frustration. It can lead to anger. But here, when you do it correctly, it leads to peace. So look at verse 6 with me. Philippians 4, verse 6. Don't worry about anything. And then notice that one word, instead. That is vital. Instead of worrying about whatever it is, I mean, legitimately, we got a lot of things to worry about if we think about it in that way. All right? So he says, don't worry. Instead, instead of worrying, pray. Take that given situation instead of in bed all night just churning and thinking and thinking and thinking. You're actually, God, here it is. It's unchangeable for me. I can't handle all the strength. I don't even know how to, I need wisdom to know how to do with this. And so, God, here it is. And then notice what else it says. You don't just give it to God. Then it's a trust issue. Follow me? It says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about what? Everything, even the thing you're worrying about, tell God what you need and what? Thank Him. All of a sudden, you might be in bed, you can't sleep, and you're, you're thinking about this, and you take this situation. Uh, I, 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 what I do is my kids are traveling or they're going through something. I have six kids, and so I hit the floor with my feet, and I'm walking, and I'm praying, uh, and I'm just begging God, and this is, this is the verse I use. I, I literally take them to the Father and I say, God, I can't protect them. I can't do this. And I know that all things were together. So Father, I'm bringing them to you. I need you now to protect them, to be with them in that given situation. And then I can lay back trusting him. He's sovereign. He is all powerful. I can relax knowing that he's heard my cry and his will, because I did what he wanted me to, his will is going to be accomplished. And so I can sit back. The Bible says this. Notice the verse, next verse. Then, when you follow this pattern, then, this is not Fleener, this is not no other picture, the Bible says, then you will experience God's peace. But keep on going. Which exceeds anything we can understand. Who can't even understand it? You're in bed and you have this great peace when your kids are going through terminal or whatever it is. His peace will guard your what? Hearts. And minds. It was fantastic stuff. So even in the midst of some difficult situation, we can have peace that passeth all understanding. Number two, rest. Get rest. All right. How can I keep myself from being, being angry and fried? Get rest. I really like this one. In 1 Kings, we have this, this guy named Elijah. Elijah is the guy on Mount Carmel in 1 Kings 18. 
and he uh, challenges the false prophets to a duel. And he calls fire down from heaven and consumes the altar. He kills 750 prophets. I mean, then he goes and prays, and the drought over God answers, and rain comes, and a great victory for Elijah. Elijah thinks he's the only one, by the way. Elijah thinks he's the man. Okay? Then when it's over, Jezebel, the wife of Ahab, the king, threatens him to say, hey, this isn't over, buddy. This isn't over. You're going to die like those 750 prophets. So Elijah begins to think, don't I get one day of rest? Can I enjoy this victory? I mean, I've worked my hiney off and, and, and killing these 750 prophets, calling rain down, or fire down, and then rain down. Man, I, I, don't I get to enjoy this victory one day? Just one. And so he runs. He's so upset. He runs to the other side of the country. And he collapses under a broom tree. And he's laying there. And I love this. He's bitter. He's angry with God, saying, God, just kill me. Wipe me out. I'm the only one standing for you, and this is how you treat me. And he's just got this mindset, woe is me. And God is up in heaven, and he sends down an angel to Elijah and says, get up and eat. <laughs> now, for a man, that is fantastic news that God cares about food. He cares about us eating. So the, the angel sent from God just comes down and says, okay, Elijah, get up and eat. So Elijah eats. And he says, go back to bed and get some rest. Then again, he says, get up and eat again, for the journey is great. We are so, we're, we're living at a time where we are so busy. I mean, this morning, I don't know how many people told me that they were tired. How many, I am exhausted. How many, how many are with me? You're just exhausted. Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to do it. Let's just get up and do some jump, jumping jacks to really get a blood flow. No, I'm kidding. Okay, we're all tired. Why? Because we are so busy. We need, listen, we need to take some time off. When you don't, when you don't take time off, you get to the place where Elijah is. Where he's at in, in 1 Kings chapter 18 and 1 Kings chapter 19. That's where you find yourself. You, when you get fatigued, you get short with your spouse, you get short with your kids, you get short with everybody. Why? Because you're exhausted. I think in the top five, number two, get some rest. Understand your body, your spirit, you need some time off. Take a break. Go to Branson. Do some. Go and watch The Beatles. I haven't ever seen Liverpool. Have you seen it? Oh, this is a sad crowd. Sad crowd. Sad crowd. Number one, okay? Look at the time, Jason. Look at the time, all right? Number one, change your expectation, okay? <laughs> our anger always starts in our mind. Our expectations and how things should be and how they should turn out and then when reality hits, guess what happens? Proverbs 4.23 says this. It says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of life. And so when you have these expectations, 
in a given situation or even people and then reality hits that they don't meet that expectation, what happens is we get really, really frustrated. Can I hear an amen? I mean, we, we do. And, and so God wants us to put our frustration, our expectation in him and not in people. I'll give you a couple of illustrations. Christmas time. Six kids, four boys, and I love these words that say easily assembled. Easy assemble. Required. Okay? Five hours later, you're upset. I mean, it'd be okay if they just said, hey, this is going to take 30 hours, you fool. It's going to take 30 hours, and, and then when you're done, it's going to look like crap. I mean, this is not going to look right. Have you ever done anything like that? I built a treehouse one time, and it was like this. Seriously. How about, how about your expectation on the golf course? This little white ball. And you, you get up there and, you, man, what's your expectation? Yeah? Right down the fairway. I mean, you, you know. And then you hit and it goes everywhere else but there. And then, of course, you know, now, now uh, don't, be, don't be thinking this was me now. All right? This, um, when it doesn't happen and your expectation... Your expectation isn't met. There's that frustration. The same thing when you're married. When I got married, I thought, you know, everything, you know, my desire was going to be met all the time. Amen. I didn't have to do nothing. I come home from work. I jump out of the shower. My wife's there to meet me. But what I didn't understand is when I got out of the shower, my clothes, dirty clothes were still there, and my towel was on the floor. I, her expectation, I was going to be this perfect man, and I was going to fold my towel perfectly over the rack, and I was going to pick up my clothes and my socks, and I'm going to put them in the, in the what do you call that, hamper? You know, it, it, yeah, it's, it's, like, it's like we have these expectations, and what we need to do, we need to be, we need to be honest and be real. Lower our expectation in people and raise our expectation in God. That solves everything. Why? Because our God never lets us down. Listen to this. Proverbs 62, 5 says, Let all I am wait quietly before the Lord. Why? For my hope is in Him. The word hope means expectation. Lower your expectation in people. Raise your expectation in God. And then it goes on and says this in Proverbs 10, 28. It says, the hope of the godly result in happiness. Hello? The expectation of the godly results in happiness. Why? Because God never lets us down. But here's, here's the clincher. The godly. What is the godly? It's just simply this, just following this. Not following a preacher and he says, well, uh, uh, wearing a tie on Sunday morning is godly. Uh, no open-toed shoes on Sunday morning is godly. Uh, all dresses on Sunday morning. You can't have long hair. You've got to have it up in a bun. I mean, all of, these, all of these rules and regulations are not godliness. It's literally obedience to this. In other words, it's Christ-likeness. That's it. So think about it. 
I can have that happiness. Preachers say, well, God never says you, you, he owes you any happiness. No, but he, he promises it over and over again. The godly, when their expectation is in the Lord, the result is we'll be happy. Why? Because we trust him. It isn't that all circumstances are perfect. It's that we are trusting him that his plan is being fulfilled right in front of our eyes. This is the reason I'm here. I believe with all my heart I was planted here to marry Judy, have six kids, and plant several churches. I believe that I'm here right now with you, and you're here for a purpose, that we can serve God together to reach more people for Christ. I believe what? Just what Scripture teaches. Simple. How many of you want to be happy, or how many want right now would just want to sleep on your roll? There's some great stuff here this morning. Great stuff. You just, you just got to nibble on a T-bone. Some of these verses, I mean, fantastic. And it will change our lives, especially in the area of the quick-tempered. You want to be that slow to anger where you can take it back down? These five things that help. Father, we are just so thankful. Lord, we just...